we lobbied at that time the state government who um, provided us with a grant and that grant was designed to help build our GMP, Good Manufacturing Practice ISO certified clean rooms. And without that assistance, um, we would have struggled then to have got the, the venture capital money. Welcome to the MCB Connect podcast. I'm Shannon Osrin. Today we talk to Perth-based Orthocell, a regenerative medicine company making moves in the Australian, US and European market. I'm joined by Orthocell CEO Paul Anderson to discuss their new innovation for dental and jaw surgeries recently approved by the TGA and the FDA. Also joining me for the first time on our podcast is Dr. Tracy Wilkinson, MTP Connect's Director of Stakeholder Engagement in WA. Welcome, Paul and Tracy. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Shannon. Looking forward to it. So let's jump in. There's lots to cover. So, Paul, let's start with the latest news from Orthocell. Can you tell us what has been taking your time up recently? Yeah, look, it's been an incredibly busy period for us. And traditionally, um, December and January uh, sort of times where we, we recharge our batteries and uh, get set for the big year ahead. Uh, fortunately, at OrthoCell, we received a Therapeutic Goods Administration approval to market our product um, for dental uh, guided bone regeneration in Australia uh, just before Christmas, which is wonderful news. It's always great to have approvals in your home market, if you like. Um, but obviously the, 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 the really big ticket piece for us is that we also received in, in late January uh, approval um, to market our product uh, within the US um, uh, market. So we received an FDA clearance. So, you know, that's a two incredible milestones for us. Uh, they come at a, a, at a time which was um, in advance of what we expected. So um, yeah, really busy period. Uh, both of those are for our CellGrow scaffold platform uh, specifically for guided bone regeneration and soft tissue reconstruction with the dental and maxillofacial area. So can you tell us the feeling of being awarded those uh, approvals? Because you, your company has been going for about 10 years, is that correct? Yeah, yeah correct, yep. So it must be... a as you mentioned, a great milestone to, to receive those approvals. Look, this has been a tremendous overnight success, right? <laughs> um, you know, there, there, there are no overnight successes in this industry or this business. If you want to make a significant impact to clinical practice, if you want to, you know, make a significant impact to patients and their ability to heal, uh, then these things take time. Uh, and, you know, we've been diligently working away uh, at all the different aspects that enable you to get reimbursement, uh, uh, registration, uh, and indeed use it in humans for, as you say, for 10 years. And it's been a collective effort uh, of a multidisciplinary team uh, and, uh, and I might say a healthy dose of tenacity that has driven these technologies and these products to a point where we're now starting to see some significant inflection points within the company uh, and really showing the market that we have the capacity and the capability to not only manufacture world-class 
niche products, but to also deliver them into a regulatory market such as the FDA, the TGA, and of course, the European market as well. Can you tell us about how you navigate those regulatory pathways? There, there are different requirements for each of those markets. Uh, it's important um, for any company to have a really strong internal understanding of what those regulatory pathways are and the differences. But it's also really important that you engage uh, regulatory experts that can help to map out the development pathway. And often we see in younger companies that they, they miss out on really grasping, you know, the start to the finish type approach. And so um, not only do you have to engage with your clinicians to make sure that you've got products that are relevant, you also need to engage with, you know, international expertise from a regulatory perspective to make sure that your product development pathways are relevant to each and every one of those uh, regulatory environment. So, you know, it is a bit of a tricky tightrope and, and, and we, we use the word tightrope, we use the word tiptoe through the tulips. You know, there are some concrete and defined pathways to market, uh, but there's also lots of grey area in the regulatory approval process and they, those grey areas need to be negotiated with some death touch uh, and, and with some real market relevance. So, you know, there's multifaceted pieces to this and, you know, one must immerse themselves in it to come out the other end as we have done. And being from Perth, you're miles away from those major markets in the US and um, the European markets. Uh, can you tell us how you've explored um, diving into those markets? Yeah, so it's, it's really important for you to like um, immerse yourself in the, 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 the regulatory pathway. It's really important that you understand the market that you're moving into. And, you know, there's been many a product that's got to the regulatory approval process and you then talk to surgeons and the surgeons said, look, gee, I wish you had it turned left back then instead of turning right. So, you know, we have spent a long time and, and um, understanding those markets for each of the individual products that we have in bone, nerve and tendon. Um, and, and, you know, I can draw on, you know, over 20 years experience in developing technologies uh, and, and it's so important that you understand your market. It's so important that you understand the regulatory pathway and it's so important that you understand the reimbursement opportunities that you have in those markets. So there's a number of facets that need to be looked at for any of the markets that you go into uh, and those facets need to be looked at understood and enable you to strategize around them. Tracy, being our head honcho in Perth, this must be a, a great success story for you to uh, watch and um, see it grow. Yeah, it's been really exciting, Janice. Um, it felt, I think there was about two months there where it felt like every time I opened LinkedIn, there was another positive news story from, from all for sale that I could uh, champion and, and share and tell everyone about. I think it's really exciting for um, the really early stage UK companies in Perth um, to have Orthocell and Orthocell team here. Um, and I'm really excited about the opportunity and share some of that knowledge and that learning, um, which Paul and the team have been really, really excited to do. So that's why they are our lead off speaker in our first Spotlight Seminar Series event. Thankfully, we've returned to uh, COVID normal here in WA, so we're still going to be able to have that face to face event next week 
and looking forward to um, yeah, really having the opportunity to showcase um, Authorzell's success and hopefully allowing some of the companies following in their in their footsteps to learn from their mistakes potentially. Um, <laughs> surely, have there been any mistakes, Paul? Oh, <laughs> uh, look, there's. If you don't make mistakes, you're not going hard enough, right? So yeah, exactly. You know, I think that that making mistakes is is something that you need to embrace. Um, and I think that what Australia probably hasn't done that well uh, and is changing a little bit, but is, in, is embracing those that have a go uh, and embracing those that fail in the US champion failures because generally speaking, they know you're not going to make that mistake again. I think we can be better, but mistakes are a really important integral part to any developmental phase and, and developmental program. Uh, and don't be scared by them. You know, from my perspective, it's important that you seek the right guidance and that you, you know, risk uh, manage those mistakes. Um, and I think that, you know, there's always going to be bumps along the road, let's call them that, um, but it's super important. No one minds you making one mistake. Let's not repeat those, though. So, you know, it's important that those learnings are moulded into um, your strategy and that they're moulded into your approach so that you can continue to achieve excellence and to strive and drive the company uh, into a better position than it was before. It will be great to have you on the uh, Spotlight series when it goes ahead next week in February. So WA listeners, uh, look out for the event and it's on our website if you would like to register and come and attend. Can you tell us about how it all kind of began for AuthorCell? I've been very fortunate. I've been involved in regenerative medicine space since the year 2000. I was involved in a previous company that we developed um, for cartilage repair. Uh, we sold that company uh, in uh, 2006 to a large American multinational. And it was during that period that we began to realise that there was a real need, a market need and a clinical need uh, for regenerative medicine therapies for bone, tendon and nerve repair. Um, and so we set about forming OrthoCell um, uh, back in the late 2000s. Um, you know, we, we obviously had um, a couple of major challenges at that time point. Uh, and one of those, first and foremost, was that the regulatory environment that we were current, that we were working in at that time didn't even really understand the regenerative medicine space. And so in a period of development in the company, we've gone from not really having a defined pathway to market from a regulatory perspective to now having a much more mature, a much more well-defined pathway to market for our products in particular. Uh, with the FDA and the TGA even now starting to understand a little bit better about these technologies. So that was one of the challenges that we faced. Um, the second challenge that we faced was quite a unique one in that venture capital money, um, there wasn't that much of it around. And venture capital money, um, even if, if it is around, and we did manage to attract some, didn't really want to invest in infrastructure. And it was our proposition was that for us to develop these regenerative medicine products, we needed a clean room environment, a manufacturing house, if you like, that would enable us to make prototypes and test them, to conduct clinical studies at the very highest level and to do early commercialisation activities all within, you know, a micro facility, if you like. So that took a lot of time in, in getting venture capitalists on board. And how we did that, one of the major 
uh, inflection points of getting that capital to start the company and to start this wonderful journey was we lobbied at that time the state government who um, provided us with a grant and that grant was designed to help build our GMP, Good Manufacturing Practice ISO certified clean rooms. And without that assistance, um, we would have struggled then to have got the, the venture capital money. And so it was a bit of a complex pathway made more simple by having a government at that time that understood a very small investment can mean a very a large amount to the investors that conversely can then convert into jobs uh, and the development of expertise. And I think the proof is in the pudding with OrthoCell. We now have, you know, over 110 separate patents filed globally, 75 of those approved with 11 patent families, uh, with products now approved in the US, Europe and Australia. So some small support, smart support directed in the right areas has been instrumental in helping to drive us uh, to this very exciting phase that we're currently in. One of your uh, products is the cell grow membrane material that you've uh, that you've patented, um, but now you're renaming it to Striate Plus. Can you tell us uh, why you decided to change the name of that product, and what does this new name mean? Does it, is there any significance around the around the name? Um, so cell grow is um, encompasses our platform technology uh, that. Uh, involves soft tissue reconstruction, bone regeneration, nerve and tendon, uh, and plenty of other applications too, I might say, but let's just stick with that. Um, and so Cellgrow remains the platform name, but each of those individual products require individualising of their marketing strategy. Um, we can't have three products called Cellgrow. So Striate Plus was a name chosen for our dental product. Um, the collagen medical device that we've developed um, within the platform has very elegant railway tracks of collagen and provide a pathway for the tissue to regenerate, um, for it to grow in a much more um, sophisticated way and for it to re replicate the tissue that it was there before. And the scaffold, when you look at it, has striations of collagens running down the surface. And so Striate Plus for us was a very um, logical name uh, that we tested in the marketplace and we found that um, it was accepted and, and embraced by facial surgeon and dental communities that we're now working with. So I was just wondering about your plans to launch Striate Plus Hall into, into the US. Is that your intention to go first into the US? Yeah, so we, we currently, the, the first approval that we received for this product was in the European market some 18 months ago. So we continue to drive um, key opinion leader attainment of excellence work that we, you know, with, with you know, Birmingham University, with um, London School of Dentistry and others. Uh, and so we now have a, a quite a, a growing distribution network and key opinion leaders in Italy, in Spain, in Greece. Romania, the UK, Germany. So really delighted with the progress we're starting to make in that market. For us, the US is the major market. Uh, it's the biggest healthcare market in the world. They have the, the most maxillofacial surgeons and they do the most surgeries. Uh, so our goal within the US is not to develop our own sales force uh, to reach 
all 350 million people within the US. Our strategy is to um, partner into those markets. And so to achieve that partnering, you need to have product ambassadors or advocates on your path, on your behalf. You need to make some early inroads into those markets and you need to demonstrate that you have a clinically effective and superior product. And so all of our plans are really around those pieces. We've already attracted seven key opinion leaders in the US um, of, of very high standing. Uh, we've developed relationships with um, some of the largest education vehicles uh, in the US to help educate surgeons, not just about what we do, but about how it can impact positively their, their, uh, their practice. Um, and we're also engaging with a number of, of global distributors and distribution networks we intend to tap into. So we find ourselves um, at OrthoCell with a product which is best in class. It handles better than any other product in the market. It integrates better than any other product in the market. It degrades at the right time point and provides us with excellent bone growth. And it's all of those qualities and characteristics which are articulated not just by us, but by our ambassadors, by our key opinion leaders, who these large companies respect and want their business. So there's a very defined pathway to market for us. Uh, we're well into that pathway uh, and we're really excited about what the US holds for us. We, we often talk about patient access to technology and how the patient will benefit from using the technology. Can you talk us through the benefits for patients in the US? Yeah, so it's been a, a really interesting developmental pathway for us. I mean, certainly there are a number of other dental membranes in the marketplace, but we did an exhaustive search and analysis and design dossier analysis of each and every one of those membranes that are used. And what we discovered was that almost every single one of those membranes has been developed by a medical device company and not by regenerative medicine companies. And so it's our deep regenerative medicine understandings have provided us with insights to, um, uh, from our design characteristics perspective. So we've been able to design a product that handles better than anything else in the market. The minute we put it into a surgeon's hands, he stops talking and starts feeling this wonderful material that's very compliant, it maintains its strengths and assists him to do the surgery. But beyond that, these unique characteristics have now demonstrated in clinical studies and in post-market follow-up that we're able to generate a more mature bone at a faster time point. And so these are significant impacts for patients. And what we're seeing is that surgeons and, and dentists are now driving an accelerated clinical program for their patients because of the outstanding bone that we're regenerating when using cell growth. So it's a combination of wonderful healing uh, properties and wonderful handling properties, which have now seen us attract some of the very best surgeons in the world to our company to support and use the product. Have you had to um, engage with those key opinion leaders slightly differently because of the pandemic, Paul? Has it been an opportunity? No, great question. Um, so, you know, these relationships aren't built overnight. Prior to the COVID world, I did an exorbitant amount of travel. Travel was specifically around engaging with our potential partners in the market, uh, corporate partners, and also 
engaging with those key opinion leaders. So we're fortunate that a lot of the work had already been done with regards to our key opinion leader engagement. So Zoom was wonderful. They had a little bit more time. We had the, the ability to engage face-to-face. Uh, so for us, it really hasn't been an impediment at all. From a regulatory perspective, no impediment. We've just forged on and you can see these outcomes validate that. Clinical perspective, all the work we've done over the last two years, we've been able to use in this year and, and, and continue to forge on. And I think that we are adaptable people. Uh, both at OrthoCell and the global community at large. And we've seen that Zoom can work effectively. Uh, we see that you can continue to engage with your customers. And importantly, you can still continue to educate through webinars and Skype and Teams and whatever medium you want. And we've really focused on online education and working with our key opinion leaders in, in, in education processes. So, look, you know, you wouldn't say it's perfect, no, no, no doubt, but certainly we've been able to navigate our way through this very successfully. And, and really what these types of challenges are about is putting yourself so you can punch out that other side. Let's switch gears to um, manufacturing. You have a facility that's out of uh, Murdoch University in WA. Can you tell us about how important it is to have homegrown manufacturing and doing that at a large scale? Yeah, look, it's tremendously important. I mean, I think for any company to be able to really understand their technologies, understand and develop a quality system that jackets the, the, the quality of that manufacturing uh, and to enable a technical transfer opportunity down the track, it's really important that you have your own facility or access to a facility. And, you know, whilst manufacturing works well, I think for a end-stage product, um, in the early phase, you really need to own that manufacturing. And when I mean own it, I don't necessarily mean the bricks and mortar. I own that process. And so it's been instrumental for us in giving us the time to uh, develop a quality system, to develop the prototypes, to test those in animals, to adjust our designs, to then implement our, our, our full-blown manufacturing process that we know is jacketed with a high-quality set of operating procedures that govern the quality uh, of, of the manufacturer of that product. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of com companies at least accessing a clean room environment if, they, if it's not their own, to assist them in, in developing the intellectual property and really understanding their own product before you give it to someone else to manufacture. And that aligns really well with the federal government's modern manufacturing initiative um, and medical products are a, a priority area underneath that. So hopefully um, with this federal funding, we'll be able to see more manufacturing of medical products in Australia and WA more specifically. So I think that there's some really interesting learnings um, potentially there from the OrthoCell story. Do, would you have any other advice to companies who are looking to follow in your footsteps and establish their own facility? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's important, again, to really immerse yourself in what that means. Um, you know, it's very easy to go to a, a contractor and pay top dollar you know, and, and have a facility that's not fit for purpose or that doesn't quite fit what you need. So I think like anything else that we spoke about, intellectual property, we've spoken about key opinion leaders and immersion into that market, those markets, the same has to be said for a clean room environment. 
Don't overcook it early. You need what you need, right? And so our facility was a, a boutique facility designed, as I mentioned, for prototype development, preclinical animal work, for human clinical trials, and some early commercialization activities. So that provides you with a really neat environment to drive um, your biology development further. And there's one other added aspect that I think is probably worth noting uh, in, this, in, in this discussion, and that is the net national benefit. Net national benefit mean, it, it, you know, to me it means a number of things. It means, you know, that we've been able to develop, you know, uh, uh, over 100 patents. I mean, that's a success story for this country in its own right. Um, you know, all from the University of Western Australia, not all of them, but the majority from the University of Western Australia. Um, you know, we now employ over 30 people. Those 30 people, majority of them are graduates, science graduates that started out not necessarily knowing what they wanted to be when they grow up, <laughs> but now, you know, fill positions of, of high responsibility within our company and other companies, um, you know, in quality assurance, in quality control, in reimbursement regulatory, uh, in manufacturing, um, in, in, in technical aspects and roles. Um, so there's, there's, there's a, a really large range of benefits that can come from, um, you know, facility access for companies that can come from um, having a facilities of this nature. And, and it's really helped to um, promote and develop the ecosystem. And, and I couldn't be prouder that, you know, some of the staff that have been with me now and have moved on to, to you know, um, other opportunities and have left uh, as as industry professionals for other roles in other companies. And that's a fantastic outcome. It's a fantastic outcome for the company. It's a fa fantastic outcome for that small initial investment that the government made way back in the, in, in the late 2000s. And that really shows that uh, with commitment to this space, the talent is here. Uh, the innovation is here. It's about how we harness that and how we multiply that um, and how we get um, products approved in market that make a difference to, to human beings. Well, Paul, that seems like a great place to end the episode. Thanks so much for joining myself and Tracy on the podcast. And we look forward to following the progress of Orthocell. Yeah, no, look, thanks very much for the opportunity. It's, it's, um, it's great to talk. And, um, you know, this journey, although for us is some 10 years old, you know, I really think we're only just beginning. This has been the MTP Connect podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Until next time.